Warning. Listening to this podcast could be hazardous to your mental health. Side effects could include random fits of yelling go bills to total strangers. For your safety, the entire collective medical community recommends caution when consuming this podcast. You are listening to Buffalo on the Brain with the most unathletic man in Bill's Mafia, Vince Taylor. Not even Brandon Bean could flip him for a pick. All right, all right, all right. How you doing, Bills Mafia? You are listening to Buffalo on the Brain, and I am your host, Vince Taylor. You can find me on Twitter at Podcast Vince. Thank you so much for tuning in tonight. This is my inaugural episode on the Built in Buffalo Podcast Network. I am so thrilled to be part of this team. Uh, special thanks to DM3. And my man Justice for reaching out and the kind words and, and making it happen. Uh, I'm very happy to be here. Thank you so much. You can find me every Monday right here on this channel. Uh, please also check out the YouTube channel as well for the Built in Buffalo team. I'm sure you've seen Justice's video. Uh, he's going to put out some more. So he does some really good work. Go over there and check it out. Uh, please subscribe as well. You probably already have the phone in your hand just do it right now i don't want you to miss out on some of the other great things that we're doing here right now our podcast lineup consists of me on mondays uh my man justice radford uh also known as justice general you can find him on the wind chill factor tuesdays halftime adjustments comes out on wednesdays all day buffalo comes out on thursdays the lowdown you can find on fridays and then last but not least the buffalo corner Saturdays. I hope you like what you're hearing. Uh, and if you don't, just keep listening until you do. All right, let's go ahead and get started. So we had the NFL draft this weekend. It was an odd draft, to say the least. I think uh, a lot of things uh, went kind of off what we were expecting. And I know the value of mock drafts has never been very accurate. They're more of a fun exercise than a predictive exercise. But Wow, there's some players that fell really far in this draft and some players that we didn't think were going to get taken as early as they did um, end up moving up. For example, we had a couple of running backs taken middle of the first. So all this smokescreen, and it was smokescreen, about Brandon Bean uh, possibly trading up to get Travis Etienne. I never believed any of that. Um, but the Jaguars snagged him, I guess. And, <laughs> and uh, Pittsburgh decided to use their first-round pick on a running back as well. But we'll talk about that here in a minute. First things first. Uh, let's go ahead and, and talk about the Bills because that's what I'm here for. Um, you know, for the first pick at number 30, the Bills ended up taking uh, Gregory Rousseau. By now, you've all heard that. Um, I, initially, I was a little bit underwhelmed by the pick. But I think as some time has passed since then, uh, I've, I've come to actually appreciate it a little bit. And... I realize why they did it at the time. And of, of course you have heard me say that I'm looking for a corner over and over and over again. Uh, I did want corner there, but I didn't, I don't really hate the pick. Uh, if you're going to look for an elite pass rusher, you know, those normally go in the first 10 picks of a draft. So if you want to get someone at 30, you got to take a swing at somebody like Gregory Rousseau and he's long, he's athletic. 
doesn't really look like a defensive end. Um, I've heard some people maybe knocking him a little bit because he got some of his sacks coming from the interior and a supposedly uh, inferior interior lineman. And I don't necessarily subscribe to that. I think getting sacks on the interior is harder than it is on the outside, honestly. Uh, so I give him a little bit of credit there. Really only one season of college production, he opted out, but it was a, it was a big season. Um, and if you go back and look at the tape, you know, he's toolsy. He's toolsy. He's the guy that you want to take a swing on, I think. So um, they call him Groot, which I, I like that nickname as well. Um, I don't hate this. As, as I said, I, I want a corner, but as time has passed, I'm, I'm warming up to this idea. Um, this may not necessarily be a guy that is going to contribute a whole lot in year one, um, which, you know, we're in the middle of a Super Bowl run. At least we think we are. I would have liked to see a player that maybe could have contributed more early, uh, like a corner. But uh, I, I can't fault the logic for the pick here. As many of you know, I am a Jerry Hughes supporter. I don't think this kicks Jerry Hughes off the team. Uh, Jerry's still the starter. And Jerry, you know, played most of the snaps uh, at defensive end last year on his side. Uh, I don't think this pick is a threat to Jerry this year. Maybe you see him a little bit more towards the end of the year. Uh, and, and next year, you know, I, I don't want to go that far out. Um, of course, it is before preseason and all this can change, but that's my feelings right now. Uh, in the second round, the Bills actually took another defensive end, Carlos Basham, uh, also known as Boogie, uh, defensive end out of Wake Forest. Um, I honestly don't think Bean thought that this guy would be here at this point. Um, a lot of folks, draft heads, the draft community had much higher grade on him, um, some as high as a late first rounder or early second. So when he was here, I think that Brandon Bean was considering certain corners that didn't come to him. And if Asante Samuel had come to him, I have to believe that would have taken him. But um, this was good value, and they couldn't pass it up. Uh, he's more of a thicker and stronger uh, kind of effort type guy. Um, you know, if we're trying to get good pass rushers, he's spreading out the risk. He's hedging, and uh, somebody in this group is going to hit. Uh, maybe Epineza takes a stand next year or makes a makes a step. Um, but Mario Addison's got to start looking over his shoulder. I think he's the most likely one to be gone. I He's going to be gone before Jerry Hughes. I would bet a lot of money on that. Um, but guys like Mike Love, guys like Bam Johnson, guys like Brian Cox Jr., I mean, they're all but gone. I mean, I, I don't think there's any room for them left at this point. You can try to stash him on, on the practice squad again, but, you know, there's another team out there that might like to take a shot at a guy like Ron Chucks Jr. or Bam Johnson. Uh, but, hey, we're upgrading talent. I don't hate this pick either. At this point in the draft, I'm starting to get a little bit antsy that we're not going to take a corner. But, um, you know, I, I was feeling a little bit down, but uh, I understood the, the logic and the strategy here. Okay, so now we're going into round three. And this is where things get a little dicey, at least in my opinion. Uh, there's... I think a lot of other smarter people who would argue with me on this, but you know, I, I think I'm right here. And before I explain any further, I want to say there is a difference between hitting the pick and hitting the player. So um, 
please keep that in mind. You know, I don't want to sound like these are terrible picks. I just think I'm hitting the pick because there's other areas of need. For example, cornerback. Maybe we could have taken another backup safety. Um, but, you know, we decided with the third pick we were going to take uh, a tackle. Um, in the third, he's just a giant athlete. In fact, our next pick, Tommy Doyle, we took in the fifth, is the same thing. Just two giant athletic tackles. Uh, when we made the Spencer Brown pick, I, I thought that, okay, um, we were okay running with guys like Ty Inseki and, uh, you know, it's a, it's a lot of investment for a swing tackle, I thought. But I thought, okay, it's mattersome. It's important to them. They want to protect Josh. Uh, pick number three, I'm still disappointed we don't have a quarter. Um, I'm not loving this pick. I think it's a little bit too much to, to pick uh, for a swing tackle. I know that we have oh, that guy from the Bengals, uh, Bobby Hart. It, it, there was no way he's going to make the team. Let's just stop with that. It was going to be Ryan Bates forever before it was ever going to be Bobby Hart. So I never believed that he's anything more than a camp body and uh, just maybe put some pressure and make some guys look over their shoulder. But we spent a premium third round picks, a high pick. That is what I consider a premium pick on a tackle that was looking like a swing tackle. I thought it raised my eyebrows. I was, this is where I started getting disappointed. And of course in the fifth, Tommy Doyle, another athletic freak, um, we're still, we pass on guys like, uh, I, Futu Futu Miafanu. I can't say his name, but you know, who I'm talking about, um, plenty of other corners out there that had, you know, speed and can play the outside. Um, Brandon Bean just does not think that's a priority. Uh, I'm still thinking it's almost criminal. You know, he didn't really make an investment in his draft of, of notes on the outside corner. Um, it's just Levi Wallace and Dane Jackson, and I'm still saying I don't really know what we have in Dane Jackson. I know he's not super athletic. I know he's a seventh-round pick. I know he made a couple of plays last year, but, you know, he was a seventh-round pick, and he's still a very large unknown. Uh, Levi Wallace is Levi Wallace. He's a fine player. He's easily upgradable, and he's probably best served as a backup, but he's a fine player. Um, If we're doing a Super Bowl run, I still say picking a corner of with a with a premium pick and getting some real competition over there some real competition levi hasn't really faced that who was he competing against last year josh norman i mean ej Gaines. uh i mean this he hasn't really beaten anybody out to keep his job but anyway odd picks there odd picks we still have Deion dawkins uh who has a pretty sizable contract you know for a, a left tackle and we just Resigned Daryl Williams, so then we picked two tackles. Just an odd series of picks there. Um, I'm not the smartest guy in the room, but I don't understand that, and I don't know that anybody could make me understand that. In the sixth, we end up taking Marquis Stevenson. He's a wide receiver out of Houston. Um, when you watch the video of him, it looks like he's pulling away from folks and they're standing still. I was surprised to learn that he only ran a, a 4-4-5. He looked like he was going faster than that. I was also surprised to learn that it was only 5'10". Uh, the videos that I had seen, he looked a little tall and he looked lankier than that. So I was just, I was, <clears throat> excuse me, surprised to learn he was only 5'10". He can do uh, some kick returns as well. He did have three kick return TDs in his college career. He has returned punch, but just four of them. 
Uh, so I, I don't know that he's going to take over the punt duties, but you know, I guess that's what preseason's for. He has had some rushing stats as well. I feel like this is a challenge to Isaiah. This is a direct challenge to Isaiah McKenzie. He's only on a one-year deal. Um, clearly they like him, but not like him enough to commit to him on a, on a real contract, honestly. Uh, remember he's playing for candy. Uh, not really, but you know what I mean? So Marquise Stevenson projects to be a, a speedy slot guy. Um, and I'm, I'm intrigued by this pick. Uh, I think this moves Hodges to the practice squad. I think this cements our, our top six wide receivers. Um, you know, we're going to have Diggs, We're going to have Emmanuel Sanders. We're going to have Beasley. Um, we're going to have Gabe Davis and then McKenzie and then Marquis Stevenson. Um, I don't think Isaiah Hodges are going to make the team. I think they both do, but you know, it's not preseason yet, but that's what it looks like to me right now. This is my favorite pick of the draft. Um, Maybe not my favorite, but it's my favorite late round pick, I would say. Um, I'm intrigued by this, and I can't wait to see what this turns into. In the sixth round, um, DeMar Hamlin, safety out of pit. This looks like it's going to be our uh, Dean Marlowe replacement, and this seems like a challenge to Saran Neal. Uh, we've been talking about Saran Neal and what we think he could be, like if he's going to be the big nickel, whatever. It's never really materialized into anything more than a special teamer. Um which, by the way, DeMar plays special teams, so that does seem like a direct that to Saran Neal. Um, you know, as as happens in the draft, you always feel threatened. I, I don't think your position is ever really secure uh, to any real extent. I think people are always looking to upgrade, so um, I don't hate that pick either. We needed some depth there, and, you know, like I said, we lost Dean Marlowe. I was a big fan of Dean. He is no longer with the team. He's over with the Lions. By the way, the Lions had... A really interesting draft too. They picked up a lot of uh, Bills Mafia favorites. Also in the sixth round, as we did have three sixth round picks, we picked up Rashad Wild Goose, a cornerback out of Wisconsin. I didn't know this guy at all existed until today, uh, but I love that last name, Wild Goose. I kind of hope he makes the team because I want to keep saying it. Um, this guy can run. He's a four four one forty time. Um, they say he has played man and he can play man, but he's really better in zone. Um, and he projects to be more of a nickel guy. So this is a possible replacement for Teron Johnson. Uh, you know, as much as I like Teron, you know, especially on his rookie year, I remember he came out and he was just laying his body out left and right. And he was a really good tackler. Uh, and he was actually really good in coverage, at least in his rookie year. It feels like he's taking a a step or two backwards in that. And I know we can point to his two pick sixes this year, but I can point to a lot of times where Teron was a liability too. He'd give up some long third downs. Um, and yes, we'll always and for forever in our memory live that pick six against Jacksonville because nobody likes to talk about it without that pick six. That's a much different game. And we can say that we shut Lamar down. Hey, Lamar got hurt. And it could have very easy had very easily had that game been 10-10 if if uh, they scored there. It woulda, coulda, shoulda, and they didn't. But uh, I'm just saying that, that game was pretty close, um, and that was a big moment for Teron Jackson. But um, that's an upgradable position too. So you know I don't know much about this Rashad Wild Goose guy, but that's what it looks like to me. It looks like it's a challenger for Teron Johnson's spot. With our last pick in the seventh round, we took Jack Anderson, an offensive lineman out of Texas. I have seen some people on social media thinking that he could challenge to be a starter. 
uh, probably over at the right guard spot in place of Feliciano. Um, I don't know this guy from Adam, but from what I read on it, it feels like people think he's more of a developmental guy. And, um, you know, it might take some time, but I don't mind taking swings like that. Uh, We, we didn't have a very good offensive line last year when it came to the run game. I don't know that he's going to contribute to that this year or really, I don't think the other two tackles will either, but um, you know, I don't mind taking a swing like that at this late in the draft. And that's it. That's our draft class. I guess overall I feel kind of, yeah, I don't know. We, I would have liked to get some people who are going to contribute this year for our Super Bowl run. Um, and I don't know that we did that. I don't think we got a starter to compete uh, on the, you know, maybe for left guard with Ike Bodker or even right guard uh, with Feliciano. I don't think we got better there. I don't think we got better at our cornerback two spot. I don't think we got better at tight end. I know people are saying that there's some free agents still left out there, and of course, is the undrafted free agents. But um, you know, I, I'm not really looking forward to spending any more money on a cornerback like Richard Sherman, and I don't know that that even helps us that much more. So uh, I'm a little underwhelmed, but I, I can understand a lot of the process here, and I, I don't really want to hate the draft. And listen, I'm not a draft head. The people who do this right are gonna know way more than me. I'm just a dumb fan. But what I see is. Um, Brandon Bean taking swings. Like he really did do a true BP, BPA approach. Uh, I, I know Bruce Nolan will disagree with me, and he's much smarter than I am, but there is such thing as best player available. When you have a roster like the Bills do, we were good last year. We'll be good again. I don't know that we took another step, but we'll still be good. There's some opportunity there for you to get those BPAs. That's why he took a swing on Gregory Rousseau. That's why he took a swing on Carlos Brashton. That's why they took two tackles. Um, now in this case, I don't like the two tackles, but I, I believe that's what they were trying to accomplish. We are going to take a short break. And when I come back, obviously there's a lot more draft talk to get to. There are teams that drafted besides the bills. We'll break down some more draft talk in just a moment. All right. As promised, more NFL draft talk. I want to start by breaking down the rest of the AFC East because those are the teams that I care about the most. Uh, The Jets actually made the most significant pick by picking a quarterback at pick number two. Uh, So we'll go ahead and talk about the Jets first. Um, The pick was Zach Wilson out of BYU. He's a quarterback. I don't know. A lot of guy. A lot of people like this kid. Um, and of course he's got the stats and the pedigree to back it up, but I, this is going to be the worst take ever. <laughs> so brace yourselves. Um, some, and I'm very, first of all, let me say I'm, I'm terrible at evaluating quarterbacks. I'm going to be wrong way more often than I'll be right. And maybe that makes me just as good as a professional. I don't know. But when I look at Zach Wilson, uh, and this is subjective opinion, but sometimes I look at the way quarterbacks carry themselves um, what do they look like? How do they walk even like there's just sometimes uh, that's a, the terrible tool to use all on its own. But I, I do think that matters and I get, I don't get a strong vibe of a leader from Zach Wilson. Um, I'd love to be right about this, but, uh, 
because I feel that way, he's probably going to be amazing and I'm going to end up eating my words. Uh, but that's my feeling. He, he just feels like a kid. You know, he's he's obviously got some growing to do. He's just got out of college. And you can say that pretty much about any quarterback. Um, but look at the way, look at the presence that Trevor Lawrence has compared to the presence that Zach Wilson has. I don't think they're the same. And, uh, and, and that's kind of what I'm hoping for hanging my hat on the Jets draft. But they picked him at number two. Uh, he's going to be the, the quarterback that leads a high-profile team like the Jets. He's got a big job ahead of him. A lot of people think that the Jets are doing some good things and, and going in the right direction. That could be true, but the Jets aren't going anywhere if Zach Wilson doesn't carry them. And um, I, I've been a vocal supporter of Sam Darnold. You know, I like to dunk on him because he was a Jets quarterback, but as a person and a, and a prospect, I've, I've been a fan of Sam Darnold. And uh, I, I still think the Jets made a mistake of letting him go. Um, and, and I'll probably be proven wrong here in a couple of years, but that's how they feel right now. Uh, with their second pick, the Jets actually traded up to take Elijah Vera Tucker. He's an offensive lineman at USC. Investing in the offensive line is something that they really didn't do for Sam Darnold. Uh, I know they tried. They got uh, Becton last year, which was a good pick, but generally speaking, they didn't do that for Sam. So they got a lot of picks. Um, they used a lot of picks. So good for them, I guess. I don't really care. I don't like saying that. Uh, in, the, in the third round, they took Elijah Moore, which was a favorite of a lot of Bills Mafia, kind of a smaller, little, speedier, I guess, slot guy. Um, but yeah, he broke a lot of Bills fans' hearts when he went to the Jets because now we have to root against him. Uh, some project him as, as a slot guy, which is odd because they have Jamison Crowder there right now. Um, so I guess they're going to try to play him on the outside. And maybe uh, Jamison Crowder stays on the inside, but I, I guess we'll look to see what happens. Um, Michael Carter, running back out of UNC, they got in the fourth round. I think this is a good pick for them because they need a running back. They have Michael Pirine in the backfield. Uh, they lost him. Uh, they lost Frank Gore, which I just I just think it was terrible coaching. Just keep giving that guy the ball as many times as they did last year. Um, so they got a little bit more <clears throat> dynamic guy. He's kind of in the more James White-ish. So kind of a third down, scat back type guy. It's just another weapon for Zach Wilson to succeed. So that's also not a bad pick. Uh, they also took a safety out of Auburn. Uh, a couple picks for the defense. Uh, Michael Carter uh, the second, um, Cornerback out of Pitt as well. Jason Pinnock. Defensive heavy draft. They did have a lot of picks. They used a lot of picks. Um in the sixth round, Zach Vaughn, if you're listening, I'm sorry. You were the biggest supporter of Hazram Nazraldine. Um, and a lot, he was a favorite of a lot of Bills Mafia, too. So the Jets making picks that really just kind of stick it to us a little bit. Uh, also in the sixth round, Brandon Eccles, another corner. And uh, Jonathan Marshall, a defensive lineman in Arkansas. So uh, a defensive heavy draft for the Jets. Um, now that's probably more balanced. They they did take some offensive help as well. Um, but, you know, they're trying to improve. The Jets are better. They're not going to be that 2-14 and 14 team that they were last year. And honestly, they probably could have easily been a 4-12 and 12 team last year. I'm still not thinking the Jets are a legit threat, but they're doing things that maybe you want to keep your eye on, uh, especially if they hit on Zach Wilson. That's a, obviously the quarterback's the most important position, but that'd be a big hit if they got that right and they traded Zach Wilson away and made me look like a dummy. That had been really great for the Jets, so let's all root against that. Um, I'm a dummy enough. I don't need anybody else making me look stupid. The New England Patriots. Now, 
famously, Bill Belichick has not been a great drafter. Uh, and the first pick in this draft, he took Mac Jones. I've seen some comparisons to Tom Brady because they both lack that elite arm strength. Um, but I was just very happy that Justin Fields didn't end up on the Patriots. Uh, I was I was very happy when the Bears traded up to take him. I, di- I didn't want to root against Justin Fields that much. And also, I think he's way better than Mac Jones. So, um, you know, Mac Jones seems more of a vanilla kind of average guy. Like, I don't, I don't know what Mac Jones does elite. I don't know what he does well. Now, I've, I've said that I'm not a great uh, evaluator of quarterbacks. Um, but when I look at Mac Jones, that's kind of what I see. But a lot of draft heads uh, really like what the Patriots did. It, it, it's going to end up being a, a defensive-heavy draft. And, of course, Belichick is a defensive-heavy coach. Um, in the second round, they got Christian Barmore, uh, another Alabama player, a defensive lineman out of, the, out of Alabama. Uh, he went from the bigger schools. Um, Belichick drafted from the bigger schools. So was, uh, in the third round, they got Ronnie Perkins, an edge rusher out of Oklahoma. A lot of people, a lot of draft heads really like that pick. Uh, they feel like that might have been their steal of the draft, uh, getting an edge rusher right there. And they took a running back in the fourth, Rodmore Stevens, another Oklahoma player. So another big school, another uh, running back, I guess, uh, that they need They need a running back. <laughs> I get it. From, I mean, if you're going to hand – Cam can't run it all the time, I guess. Uh, in the fifth round, Cameron McGrone, a linebacker out of Michigan. In the sixth round, Joshua Bledsoe, a safety out of Missouri – and the seventh, Trey Nixon, out of UCF. Um, this was a defensive-heavy draft. Belichick's a defensive-heavy coach. They spent a lot of money, uh, free agency, on offense. So I guess that kind of makes sense. Uh, Jacoby Myers is one of their wide receivers. They have uh, Nelson Aguilar, who I've always been a fan of. This Nelson Aguilar to the Patriots doesn't make a lot of sense with me with Cam as the quarterback. Um, his trade is going deep and you know, the deep seam route. And that's just not Cam's game anymore. Uh, they spent money on Hunter Henry and Johnny Smith. I feel like, I feel like they want to have the threat of the deep ball, but they're never really going to utilize it that much. It's going to be a lot of crosses and pick plays again, but the two tight end sets and a lot of running, I feel like that's what they're going to do and play heavy defense. As long as Cam's their quarterback, I just don't see them as a legit threat. They're a team that could beat anybody any week, but at the end of the year, they're they're just not going to be a threat. Um, you know, they'll play it tough and they'll have some close games, but they're not going to probably win more than seven or eight games. The Miami Dolphins, uh, another team that I love to hate. Uh, they did have a lot of picks. End up, they did a lot of trading. They didn't end up with as many picks as they could have had. Um, a lot of people like Jalen Waddle. They're trying to get some support around Tua, um, which is great. Get him, get him another wide receiver. Take all the excuses away. You got to figure out what you have in Tua. I Tua Tua sticks with me because he was benched on and off again. They had to have even like almost like a pinch hitter. <laughs> uh, Fitzpatrick came in uh, and ran the two minute offense, I believe, in one game. It was a halftime. But uh, basically, they had to pull a pinch hitter for your franchise quarterback. There was some legit concern or questions whether they were going to draft another quarterback this year. And you had his teammates openly 
questioning Tua last year at the end of the year. Like, they didn't think he was the guy. Of course, he made those stupid comments like he thought the game would be easier, but Tua didn't accomplish much, okay? You're going to look at his touchdown. You're going to box score scout him, and you're going to think he's great. Tua wasn't great. He got a lot of short fields set up to him by the defense, and that's the strength of that team. Miami is a team to keep keep their eyes on, though. They do have a good defense, and I talked about this with Justice a couple weeks ago. You know, it does feel like every time the Dolphins play the Bills, Josh Allen gets the AFC player of the week, but I'm not willing to just say it's always going to be that way. It's just not that easy. The Dolphins can put up a fight, and they will put up a fight defensively. They also had another first-round pick, Jalen Phillips. Uh, he's supposed to be one of the best defensive ends in the draft. Uh, he had some medical concerns. I'm not a fan of this pick. Uh, and there's people who are smarter than me will disagree with me, but here's why. He retired from football after an injury, and it's said that he lost the love of the game. That's not a first-round pick to me. You don't feel like he's going to get hurt again in the NFL level. Um, you know, If you're going to give up and you're going to lose the love of the game, he came back from it and he's a great player, blah, 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 blah. You know, this is the NFL, and it's it just – I think there's a level of commitment that's above and beyond what you can expect at the college level. So, I mean, I'm happy, happy for the kid. I'm glad he came back from his injury. Um, I, I just, I don't know how I feel about this. I'm, I'm glad the Dolphins made the pick and not the Bills. Let me say it that way. That's probably the better way to say it. Uh, took a safety in the second. Uh, Javon Howard. They ended up trading Eric Flowers away a few weeks ago, maybe. Uh, ended up getting another pick. They were going to replace Eric Flowers who's a tackle with Liam Eikenberg out of Notre Dame, picking up another possible um, elite or at least starting caliber tackle on a rookie contract. So um, I, I don't know how I feel about that, but you know they're, they're maybe managing salary cap expectations there. I don't know. Maybe they just didn't like Air Flowers. Um, and the third, I took Hunter Long, another tight end. I hear Mike Isecki. I have not verified that, but Mike Isecki is supposed to be in the last year of his contract. Um, but at least for the year, they have the opportunity to do tight, two tight end sets. I know the two the tight ends are the Bills' weakness. You don't have to be Mike Gusecki. You don't have to be Travis Kelsey uh, to have a good day against the Bills. So, you know, just something to keep an eye on. I, I still, I think the Miami is perfectly capable of beating us. Okay, I'm just gonna say it. Like, I don't think they're gonna win the division. I think the Bills are still the better team, but. When it's time to play Miami, Miami don't automatically think it's a W because it's just not going to be that easy. After that pick in the third round, they had a long wait. They didn't make any more picks until the seventh round where they took Larnell Coleman, an offensive lineman, and they also took a running back. Uh, I think it's Jared, G-E-R-R-I-D, Dokes, uh, running back at Cincinnati. So, um, you know, Miami... They didn't have as many picks as you might have thought that they did, but I, I do think Miami got better as well. Just like every other team in the AFC East, it's all going to come down to the quarterbacks, um, whether it is Tua, whether it's Cam, whether it's Zach Wilson. The Bills actually have, actually, like it's not even close. The Bills have the best quarterback in the AFC East. Uh, the, the other teams did get better. Maybe they improved more than the Bills did, but I still think there's a pretty sizable gap between the Bills and everybody else in the AFC East. Outside of the AFC East, I want to take a quick look at some of the other uh, top contenders in the conference. Uh, we know Baltimore, just I think maybe a week or two ago, traded their right tackle, who played left tackle last year, wants to be paid like a left tackle, and they ended up trading over to the Chiefs. 
Now the Chiefs needed a tackle, so that was a good move for them. They didn't really give up a lot. Essentially, they I mean, there were other parts involved. I think they gave up an extra third. But the meat of this trade was basically swapping their first rounder um, for Baltimore's second round. So Baltimore picks up an extra first. Uh, they used their first two picks to pick up a wide receiver, Rashawn Bateman and Jason Owe, uh, a couple late round first. Uh, Jason Owe was a guy who people say has a lot of talent and he's very toolsy. Uh, didn't really do much in college. Uh, Rashad Bateman, I think, was an interesting pick for a lot of folks because they didn't necessarily think he would go that high. Uh, the guy that I had my eye on was Sean Wade. Uh, it was a cornerback that was on the board, I think, when one of the Bills' other picks in, in uh, Baltimore ended up taking him. Uh, but I, I don't know how much better Baltimore is. You know, the big acquisition is Sammy Watkins. I don't know what that does for me. Um, they're still a good team, and they did lose some pieces on defense so they don't scare me quite as much i think last year was probably their best shot and it's sad for lamar the way that it ended for him good for us um but i I don't know if baltimore is any more of a threat than they were last year in fact i don't i don't know how much better they are i think they're probably taking a slight step back Uh, i'm still thinking that they're good and please understand i'm not calling them to be trash Uh, i i think i'm a little bit less concerned about them though let's carry that thought over to the indianapolis colts um, I like the Colts first two, well, first pick Quiddy pay. I don't know much about their second pick, but a lot of draft heads think that, that it was, uh, a value pick, uh, Deo, I don't want to pronounce it, but you could probably look it up and you know who I'm talking about. Um, Indianapolis Colts, by the way, are, it's my home team, my hometown, my wife's favorite team. Um, I, uh, they have a good defense, by the way. Let, let me just say, I think adding Quiddy pay to that defense is, a, is a good move. Um, Carson Wentz, I'm not completely sold on, you know, I want to hedge a little bit. Uh, I, I don't think it's out of the real possibility that he springs back and, and becomes a semblance of what he was a couple of years ago. But, uh, you know, I don't like what I was hearing. Yeah. I think there's a, a podcast a couple of months ago now, um, that Joe Moreno did with Benjamin Solak, I think. And they were talking about some of the stuff that was coming out of Philadelphia. He's he sounds, he sounds like a me first guy. I don't like what I'm hearing about him. So uh, I, I don't think the Colts are any more of a threat than they were last year. I, if you guys remember, I was kind of banging the table. I thought they were the best first round matchup and, and we would run them out the building. We did for a while. Then they caught up and it was closer than I thought. But uh, no Phillip Rivers this year. You know, Carson Wentz is there instead. Um, I, I think they got a little better. You know, even if they didn't really add a lot of pieces offensively other than Carson Wentz, I still think they could have probably used a little bit more investment in wide receiver. But uh, for right now, you know, they're just kind of like Baltimore. Just keep your eye on them. They're a good team. They could probably jump up and surprise you. But um, overall, big picture, first impressions, I still think the Bills are better than these two. And I want to talk about the Cleveland Browns because I think the Cleveland Browns won the draft, honestly. In their first two picks, they won the draft. Uh, Greg Newsom followed by Jeremiah Owusu-Koromoa, uh, fell all the way to them at the second round. That's ridiculous. That's ridiculous. I don't understand what happened there. I need someone smarter than me to explain to me how that happened and how the Cleveland Browns got those two players, followed up by Anthony Swartz. A lot of people, a lot of the draft heads, were really high on Tony Fields as well. Uh, and then they followed up with another Bills fan, 
favorite. Demetric Felton was their last pick. They had a wonderful draft as far as I can tell. They were already a good team last year. I felt like maybe they were kind of overachieving just a little bit. Um, but now look at them a lot differently. You know, they have Denzel Ward and they have Greg Newsom. They have two top corners. They have a really good defensive line. They're going to add uh, JOK and Tony Fields. Uh, maybe not start, at least. Uh, but he's going to at least be a, a really important depth piece. Anthony Schwartz added, the, there's a lot of talent on that team. There's a lot of talent. How you feel about Baker Mayfield makes all the difference. I think Baker Mayfield is bouncing back and uh, his arrow is pointing up. I'm not sure that I'm ready to put him in the same class as Russell Wilson or Tom Brady or Josh Allen, but uh, I'd put him right around that top 10-ish type quarterback, maybe somewhere between 8 and 12. Um that's a good team, and, and he can win with a lot of talent around him. And that team's starting to concern me a little bit. They did play the Chiefs a lot better than we did as well. Um, and, and it's my belief it's because they have a stronger defensive line, and now they're adding some extra pass coverage and a linebacker to that. So uh, Cleveland concerns me, and I will never tell any of my Cleveland Browns friends that to their face, but uh, they do concern me a little bit. So they, they had a wonderful draft, and I'm jealous of that. Uh, the Denver Broncos, I never really bought into any of that Aaron Rodgers talk, but it was fun to at least think about if, if that were true and Aaron Rodgers got to this Denver team, uh, with Cortland Sutton and Jerry Judy and, uh, KJ Hamler and this defense, that's something to be scared of as well. Um, they would have won the draft if they could have found a way to make that trade, but I don't think it's real. I think Aaron Rodgers is being a dick. Uh, to put it as Jeremy said last week um, they had a good draft they got well they had an okay draft I liked their first pick a lot Patrick Sertan was one of the guys I had my eyes on didn't really think he'd make it to the Bills but they did draft a running back in the second round as much as I might like the running back Javante Williams that's just weird uh, they have Melvin Gordon over there um, I can't think of the other guy's name uh, Lindsey um, it's just I guess, okay, maybe they are thinking maybe a lot of the way that some of the Bills fans were, like the rest of the team is pretty well-rounded out. Why not try to upgrade at running back, I guess. Um, but, you know, they did have some other good picks. I, I don't know that I'm going to pronounce this name correctly. Quinn Minards, uh, an offensive lineman, was another guy. A lot of folks that were high on. Uh, Kerry Vincent was the guy that was starting to catch my eye. I was looking at him uh, as a... A later round guy, uh, I, I liked him as a slot person, but uh, Denver actually scooped him up. Denver's better with Teddy. Uh, I'll give them credit. I, I'm not a Drew Locke fan. I didn't like him in college. This is one of the rare times that I'm right uh, about being a, a quarterback guru. I was right about Drew Locke. He is exactly what I thought he was, so I want to take credit when I get it right. Uh, I do think the Broncos are better with Teddy. Teddy's not going to light it up. Teddy's not going to throw for 4,000 yards and 30 touchdowns, but Denver's going to put up some points uh, and be pretty well-balanced, and they have a good defense. Probably not ready to take on the Chiefs um, in that division, but I, they're a possible playoff team, so I wanted to add them here on this list. The Chiefs could have probably done nothing at all, and I'd still probably look at them as the number one team in the AFC because uh, they are. They have Patrick Mahomes. Um, they did lose both of their tackles last offseason. They're both older and injury-prone of course, they, they did trade for Orlando Brown out of Baltimore. They didn't really replace him, uh, place one of their other tackles, but they drafted Creed Humphrey in the second. 
that's a guy a lot of people had their eyes on uh, for the Bills. Thought maybe he could play center. Maybe he can kicked into one of the guard spots. They, they picked Nick Bolton, a linebacker up in the first. Um, but the surprise, not surprise period, the, the intriguing pick is the word I want to use. Uh, it was Noah Gray. Uh, a lot of people thought he was the best route running tight end out there. And that's probably not a bad place for him to go and learn and catch passes from Patrick Mahomes and get tutored by Travis Kelsey. Uh, so the Chiefs are still the Chiefs. You know, nothing's going to really change there, at least for me. Um, and I'd love to be wrong about that, but I still think the Chiefs are the team to beat in the AFC. A team that I'm going to add that maybe not a lot of other folks are talking about. To me, I think the Chargers are sneaky good. Uh, Justin Herbert was amazing last year just coming in. He's got His arm is every, strong, every bit as strong as Josh Allen's. Um, just the way that ball comes out of his hand, it's just effortless. It's just really just kind of moving his wrist, and that ball is jumping out, just like Josh. And uh, he put up the stats to back it up as a rookie. I've got my eye on the Chargers as another team that could surprise a lot of folks. In the first round, they took Rashawn Slater uh, to help protect Justin Herbert. They got my guy, Asante Samuel Jr. Uh, in the third round, they picked Josh Palmer. A lot of people think he's a automatic starter over there. Um, Keenan Allen, you know, going they're just they're building something special. Uh, they also picked up a tight end, Trey McKitty. Um, so I feel like they're going to get a lot of production out of these picks early. And uh, you know, the Chargers are somebody to watch. I'm telling you, you heard it right here first. Vince Taylor's telling you, watch out for the Chargers. That AFC West is a tough division. Uh, the Raiders are probably the worst team in that division, but um, I still think the Raiders. I, they're a possible playoff team. That whole division's tough. Uh, we're going to go ahead and talk about the Pittsburgh Steelers. Because they were so good last year and they did have that amazing start, it was a little bit of smoke and mirrors. The strength of that team is its defense, and they do have a really good defense. I, I'm adding him here, but I, I don't know that I really believe this. Uh, big Ben's coming back, and I don't know that they're a threat. I, I think they're going the wrong way. They used their first-round pick and a running back because they lost James Conner. Uh, they didn't really – Offensive line was their weakness last year. They they didn't really address it until the third and fourth rounds. Um, and maybe they got somebody good, in it, but they didn't really spend any premium picks on him either. Uh, Pat Freer, Freer Muth. Uh, I don't know. I just, they have a good defense. And of course, that can always keep you in games. But I think when you look at them um, going to the end of the year, it's just, I Big Ben was just so bad. And they brought him back again. Uh, it's hard for me to see a path to where they're going to be more than like a six or seven win team. The last AFC team that I want to talk about is the Tennessee Titans. Uh, and they have the possibility to have a sneaky, really good draft. And of course that's because they took Caleb Farley with their first pick. Now, most bill fans that are listening to me are probably familiar with Farley because we talked about him and we tweeted about him. We all had our eyes on him for a long time. He's got the opportunity or the potential is the word that I should use uh, to be like a top flight NFL corner. And of course he was hurt and he also opted out of last year. So there's a lot of question marks about him, but Tennessee is swinging the, the bat here. They're rolling the dice They're They're taking a chance on him, and it could hit really big. Oh, they also grabbed an offensive lineman in the second a linebacker a lot of people liked in the third, Monty Rice out of Georgia. Um, that's 
if you look at his, I, I like what I saw, uh, at least when I started looking at some video of him. Uh, I, I'm very intrigued by this draft for them. And then in the third, another corner, Elijah Molden. So they're trying to uh, shore up that defense. You know, they've always been okay on defense, but it seems like in the last year or two, they've kind of shown some weakness in, in every now and then uh, some lapses where they would just be not very good at all. Uh, so Tennessee spending some draft capital to try to show that up. Of course, they still have Ryan Tannehill and uh, Derrick Henry and A.J. Brown. So that's a team to keep your eyes on as well. I think that's probably enough uh, draft talk for one pod. Uh, I've hit all the interesting AF team teams, which is the teams that we really need to be keeping our eyes on. Uh, next week, I'll get into a few of the NFC teams. But I'm also excited about... The hot seat this week, I, I do have a returning guest, and I'm going to call him a friend of the pod. Jeremy is a friend of the pod. I also had a visit from Anthony Marino. I was thrilled to get a, ch- a chance to talk to Anthony. He's just as friendly as you think he is. Uh, and then the last but not least, I had a chance to talk with uh, Nate from Circle in the Wagons. Uh, when I first started listening to the podcast, Circle in the Wagons is one of the first ones that I had discovered. And I've always been a fan of Nate. I enjoy his candor, uh, just his delivery and his humor. So uh, he's also uh, is just as friendly as you think he is, too. So uh, we're going to put them in the hot seat and then we will talk to you all next week. Let's go. Okay, Bill's Mafia joining us again for the second time in the hot seat is BFF Jeremy over on the Buffalo Phonetics Network. As you know, Jeremy hosts a very funny podcast uh, called the Buffalo Bootleg. Jeremy, you want to tell us about your podcast? Yeah, thank you again for having me on. Uh, like you said, um, we, we try to be entertaining in the uh, in a, a comedic aspect due to our lack of you know like X's and O's and like you know film breakdown knowledge. Like we we don't we don't have that. But uh, we love talking to Bills, and so we kind of just like to, uh, you know, gossip and BS and just try to out uh, <laughs> ridiculous the other person sometimes. So, yeah, it's just, it's just a fun conversation. Okay. Um, I only have 10 questions this week, and I promise they're all Bills type questions. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, so which number would you like? Ooh. So I have to pick a number between 1 and 10? 1 and 10. Okay. I will go with. I'll go with nine. Okay. So this team was 13 and three last year. Mm-hmm. For all intents and purposes, we are bringing everybody back. I knew we lost John Brown. Wasn't really active a lot last year. We'll replace him with a similar caliber person. So for all intents and purposes, we brought everybody back. What do you think the record is this year? Ooh, you know, it's, uh, it, it kind of, for me, it, it's almost like kind of a bummer when your team's really good, because I feel like it's just, you, you always, um, want to raise the bar every year, you know? So the fact that we went 13 and three last year, um, it's like, you feel like you got to at least do the same thing or else you, you might feel like your team is worse. Um, but it's, it's 17 games this season correct that's right um like you said everybody's coming back i i feel like we can be 
just as good, if not better on both sides of the ball offense and hopefully even better on defense. And I believe our schedule is even supposed to be easier. Um, so I feel like, man, we could even go for like 14 and three or even 15 and two this season. If, uh, you know, I'm kind of just going off of, um, just that, a basic, a baseline there. So, um, yeah, honestly, I think we can do 13, 13, uh, what did I say? 14, three, 15, two, 15, two, 14, three. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like we should at least be able to match last year's if not improve upon it. So I think it'll be something close to that. Yeah. Yeah. In theory, you know, you, you, there's room for improvement, obviously. Mm -hmm. So you, what if AJ Epinenza takes a step? What if Dawson Knox decides that he knows how to play tight end, you know, (laughs) What if uh, we hit on a couple draft picks, you know? Yeah, I feel like, you know, the uh, the passing game, you know, being mentioned, you know, wanted to don't lose the fastball. So it feels like the passing game is, you know, will continue to be you know, our, uh, our strength. But I think our run game will get better. I think it has to. Um, I think the, uh, you know, being even said that, you know, the blocking, uh, the run blocking wasn't great. So I think that will be better. I think our our running game will be fixed. Uh, so I think we'll see improvement there. And then, like I said, on the defensive side, I think, you know, I, I feel like Jerry Hughes is going to still be Jerry Hughes. I think he's got another good year. Um, we saw the improvement from AJ Epinesa. So I think that could be uh, more, we got some additions like FA Obata, who I think will be interesting to see. Um, and then I'm, I'm sure we're going to add at least, you know, maybe two more pieces by the draft who have like a good chance of starting, uh, at being starters. So, uh, yeah, I think, like I said, I think we could be better on both sides of the ball and, uh, I'm, I'm pretty confident about it. You heard it here, folks, take all of your money to Vegas and follow this advice. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Bet the over. Yes. Uh, <laughs> that, I, I'm a betting expert, so, you know. Okay. Jeremy, I appreciate you giving me a few minutes of your time again. And, uh, you know, thank you for all the kind words and you've been good to me. So I, I just want you to know it's appreciated. Yeah, man. Thanks again for having me on. It's always fun. Is, uh, is this going to be on the very first uh, Buffalo on the Brain podcast? It will be on Monday's podcast. Yes. Okay. Buffalo very on cool. the Brain. Very cool. Thanks again, man. All right. No problem. Thank you, sir. Appreciate it. Thank you. All right, Bills Mafia, next up on the hot seat, we have your man, Anthony Marino, over on the very popular podcast, Breaking Buffalo Rumblings, over on the Buffalo Rumblings Network. Anthony, how you doing today? Hey, Vince, it's great to be with you, man. I, uh, I'm on the hot seat, though, so I'm sweating just a little bit. <laughs> uh, what can you tell us about your Breaking Buffalo Rumblings show? Man, it's you know what it's been a, a busy year, but it's been great. I mean, obviously to to be on the Buffalo Rumblings podcast channel, just to be a part of a great lineup. But you know, we just put out a different show each and every week. Just fortunate to kind of share relevant topics with everyone as best I can. And as you know, Bills Mafia, right? Like they just love to get new content each and every week. And like yourself, I'm just fortunate to 
kind of be a voice they can share with them and have a little fun in the meantime. Yeah, we're animals. We're just, we're always like, <laughs> what can we talk about? What can we talk about? Okay. Absolutely. So um, I, I've kind of explained to you the, the kind of the, the basic uh, rules of the game here. So I have 10 questions. Number nine is taken. Which one would you like? I will take number eight. Number eight. Okay. Um, I asked this question the other day. I like talking about this one. Um, for most of my adult life, we've had really shitty coaching. You know, after Marv Levy, I liked Wade Phillips there for a while. Um, and you can, maybe some people have a little bit of a different opinion about Chan, but what is it that you think makes Sean McDermott so special? Oh my gosh, that is a great question. And it's so funny because I am in no way an authority, I guess you could say, to talk about coaching. Because at least initially, I was excited about the hire of Rex Ryan. And then I very quickly realized that I was um, was wrong in feeling that way, right? And I even had an article at buffalorumlings.com at the time where I sort of just went out there with like, these are my feelings on why I'm done with Rex Ryan. And um, <laughs> as, I, as I think back to, to that, which normally I try to play it pretty even keel. But, you know, when you talk about Sean McDermott and why things work with him, and I go back to this article I had read when he had first started with the Bills, and it really talked about the culture that he was building with that team. And, I, you know, I think for all of us, you know, even in our day to day, whether it's at the workplace or if we're in school or you know, a part of different teams, again, on a, a personal level or professional level, um, you always hear about culture at work, but it's one of those terms that's really just thrown out there a lot. And Sean McDermott, there was an article, and I can't remember who wrote it at the time, and I think it was around that first training camp when he was the head coach in 2017. And it talked about what he was doing to build the culture of the Bills and really building a culture around around love and that not being a term that you use or hear a lot in football, right? You think about these massive professional athletes and just bone-crushing hits and just, you know, it's the National Football League, right? You're talking about the pinnacle. You're not usually talking about that type of a feel that a team has with each other. And they talked about training camp. They talked about these sessions where, they would ask players, like, who's the most important person in your life? Uh, and it would get really emotional for these players. And they would start talking about maybe someone in their family, just someone that they had grown up with, something that had really changed their life that I don't think a lot of coaches take the time to do that. And by putting that together, right, and I think you know this in any situation, like when you know someone on a personal level, you are much more willing to go the extra mile for them. And not just on a personal level of, hey, we have similar interests and, you know, we get along, we can have a beer, grab something to eat. But like knowing that person of, of really what it is that makes them tick. And I just remember reading that article. I've shared it with people that I work with. I've shared it with clients. Um, just when we talk about culture and how important that is, that's always an example I go back to. And to think like, hey, if this is something that really works with a professional football team, uh, imagine how it can work in some other ways. So uh, when I say it's a bit unorthodox, I mean, it's, you know, as you say that, it's it's nothing like earth shattering. But maybe sometimes when you're talking about a football team, it is. Or maybe it's just the first time that I've read about it. But for me, I think when you can create that type of sense of like getting these guys to care about each other 
outside of football. And the same thing being said with the coaches, um, that takes it down right to, to a person. And when it comes to a person, uh, I think that makes a big difference. And I think that's what we've seen with this, with this team. Um, we've seen it over the past four years that Sean McDermott has been here. You think about the drought, as you referenced, and some of the poor coaching that we've seen. And here we are going to the playoffs three of the last four years. Um, now it's just an expectation that the team is going to go to the playoffs. And even as we talk about the draft coming up and everything that goes with that, there's so little buzz around the draft this year because the focus is just on the team, around being a great team. And, yeah, this is adding a different piece, but it's not like in the past where it's like, man, you really need to hit on all of these picks to make this roster more competitive than it's been. Um, and that really does start with Sean McDermott. And I just, um, so when you talk about being a fan, right. And sometimes I can get accused of, you know, being a little bit of a homer or too optimistic or too positive. But when you have a coach like that, that builds a culture like that, and you know, you spend time doing that for your own personal work and profession that you're a part of, uh, to me, that really stands out because let's be honest, the X's and O's, certain coaches and teams, you know, they run the same concepts, the same things. Like it's not always rocket science or so creative that it's something that no one has seen before. But a lot of times it comes to that culture, to that mindset from the players. And he has certainly built that at Buffalo. So not the clapping. <laughs> no, not the clapping. Although, you know what? There is something to be said, right? You can do the different studies about, uh, you know, being those 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 leaders that focus on the positive and have that type of mindset. But yeah, it's definitely more than the, uh, the clapping. Although his hands have just got a sting at the end of the game. Like, probably needs like, you know, ice packs or something. <laughs> no, but uh, I really like your comments. And I, I echo the exact same sentiments. You know, I'm sure you work for a living just as I do. And I've worked at places that had amazing culture and places that have really bad culture. And um, you know, when you have bad culture and you have, it comes from like the, the top down and uh, everyone's afraid and they're always trying to cover their ass or their finger pointing. And when you work at a place that has better culture, like, that stuff is just doesn't exist as much, you know? Uh, so, I mean, you apply that to football and you can apply it to business. I mean, you can apply it to really anything. Well, and I think you can also look at it too, and not just with Sean McDermott, but you know, his relationship with Brandon Bean. And I think there was a misconception for many of us early on that they were like these best friends when they were together down in Carolina, right? Because there would be the stories of McDermott was, you know, helping Bean's son kind of get ready for a, a wrestling match or something that he had going on, working on his technique. And I think it was a little bit overblown that these two, um, you know, again, were a, were kind of a duo that had been planning this. And from the sounds of it, they had a good relationship, but nothing that this seemed like, you know, something that was destined to happen. And you look at so many franchises out there where they're just not in lockstep, the GM and the head coach, or, you know, maybe you fire the coach and you keep the GM, but then the GM is on the hot seat and you bring in a new coach and they're not on the same page or, you know, vice versa, the coach survives, but you get to bring a new GM in and, you know, you just see where there's, Things don't always mesh the way it needs to. And I think the the fact that those two have developed that relationship and work so well, I mean, and they'll say it's not like everything is just a 100% agreement that they go through with, but that level of respect, it does tie into that 
uh, as well when you talk about the culture and it just goes a long way. There you have it. Anthony Marino, trusting the process. <laughs> All right. Hey, I really appreciate you taking a few minutes for me today, Anthony, and uh, hopefully we'll do it again soon. I would love to. Thanks, Vince. All right. Thanks. Have a good day. Bring the house down. All right. Bill's Mafia next up on the hot seat. We have a man that I'm, I'm a big fan of this man. Uh, he is the host of the Circle in the Wagons pod over on the Buffalo Rumblings Network. Nate, how are you doing today? Good, Vince. Good. Thanks. Thanks for having me on. This is this is perfect to do this because I was procrastinating doing something important, and I find that I do my best work otherwise when I'm procrastinating to do something important. So um, I'm excited to be here. <laughs> I'm I'm really happy to provide a distraction for you. <laughs> anything okay. to not do anything to not do the important thing I should absolutely be doing right now, and I'm not. <laughs> Yeah, I do that too. Yep, yep. <laughs> anyway, uh, I'm, this is called the Mafia Hot Seat, and I have a list of 10 questions. Uh, eight and nine are taken. So which number would you like? Well, would it be cliche if I just go one? Let's just go one. I, I'm, no. too, I, I'm not creative enough to do, to do anything else than that. So let, let's, just, let's just go number one. Nobody's done that yet, believe it or not. <laughs> uh, this is one that is fun to talk about. In 2019, Brandon Bean essentially built, I mean, he used a free agency to kind of fill the holes on the offensive line. And I'm not completely satisfied with the offensive line right now. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I'm 100% uh, in the same boat as you, Vince. Um, I, I've, especially with the draft coming up and all of the rumors circling around about Travis Etienne, the running back out of Clemson, um, it just goes to remind me. I mean, I, I I'm not one of those guys that watches tape and watches film and watches the same play ten times backwards and forwards. Um, but what I see while watching those games, uh, watching the Buffalo Bills in in 2020, is that. Um, I think the issues with the running game don't have to do with the running backs so much as it has to do with the offensive line and scheme that the bills are running or play calling as it were. And um, I, I like it, but I think as bills fans, I like the offensive line. I should say that I, I think, I think they're okay. I don't, I don't think they're terrible and I don't think they're great. I think they're okay. I think certain parts are better than other parts and, and whatnot. And there's certain aspects that are better than other parts. But I mean, we went from having, you know, who, who who's on our uh, offensive line in 2018 and Josh's rookie year? It was like Jordan Mills, Vlad Dukas, Ryan Groy. It was a combination of Ryan Groy and uh, and uh, oh god, I can't remember the guy who we who we traded away to the Patriots for for Russell Bodon. Russell Bodon, thank you. And then yeah, Jordan Mills. I mean these these are guys that aren't even in the league for the most part anymore. So um, we went from that to, you know, 2019, upgrading the offensive line. And it was an upgrade for sure over the worst offensive line in history. So, you know, I mean, how much better do you have to be than terrible for people to think? Now, the, pro the problem is some people think that that's good. I disagree. I don't think it's good. I think it's better. Um, so I think the Bills can still improve upon that. Um, I think Brandon B. did a good job, but I think there's still more improvements 
that can be had. So to answer your question, when people, I think the offensive line is better. I still don't think it's above average. I think it's good. I think it's okay. I think it's average. I think it's good. I think it's, I think it's, I think it's okay. I think, I think it's, I think it's better in pass blocking, which is what you want it to be for Josh Allen. But even so Josh Allen makes that line look so much better than it is sometimes by dodging guys that just knife through to the backfield completely unblocked. <laughs> so, um, and then running game. I mean, the bills are terrible at running the ball, but I think that has mostly to do with the offensive line and uh, some of the coaching, but, but yeah, so yes, continue. Yes. I think, I think it's better, but not great. <laughs> uh, so first of all, I love it when people agree with me because it makes me feel so much smarter. Uh, you have taken all my thoughts and put them in a little rant and <laughs> basically echoed my, my own thoughts and feelings. Um, yeah. So, I mean, I'm kind of right now, I mean, I know the drafts tomorrow night and I, I had seen your tweet right before we started uh, recording <laughs> and I'm like, yep, that's right. Cause we're going to, we're blaming, uh, I mean, we're, we're blaming the running backs for things that are not necessarily their fault. Uh, I don't think there's enough push up there in the running game. I think every time Devin Singletary, took a carry. He had to make somebody miss just to get back to the line of scrimmage. Um, and, and, you know, putting Travis ATN behind that would be like, you know, putting new tires on a car that, you know, doesn't on a <laughs> can't out of, yeah. Yeah, can't yeah. Get out of first gear. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, so I actually, I tweeted something to that effect. Um, well, I was, it's funny. I'm like listening to or looking at Twitter while I was at work and I'm just like, Oh, let me just do a quick Google search on, on, uh, on the running game. And I was like, I remember the staff from pro football reference and it's called yards before contact. Right. So it's pretty self-explanatory. It's just how many yards does the running back get before they run into contact before somebody's trying to tackle them. And if you look at the top running backs in the league, you look at Derek Henry I mean, Derrick Henry has has the best yards before contact per attempt in the NFL with like five yards before anyone even tries to touch him. Right. Um, and then you look down lower and then you look at the Buffalo Bills and I can't remember exactly what it was, but I think respectively it was Devin Singletary was ranked 39th in the NFL in yards before contact and. Uh, Zach Moss was 45th, I believe out of like, you know, all running backs. So they were, they weren't, you know, even top 10, top 50, like they, they, I think it was like 1.3 yards before contact that they would run before, you know, someone was trying to tackle them. So, and then if you flip it the other way, so yards, yards, um, after contact, which means, you know, your ability to evade tacklers and, and continue on, you know, they were both like pretty much top 10 in that category. So they have the ability to, you know, move aside and, you know, make, make guys miss. Uh, but they're doing that in the backfield <laughs> or they're doing that like right at the line of scrimmage or whatever. There's not a whole, whole lot of holes for them in my opinion. Um, and that's kind of what I see from game to game. And that's kind of what my opinion has come through. Like you said, I mean, the analogy. So, I mean, just to give you a quick analogy, I was actually making this clip for a podcast I did with Bruce um, on, on the Buffalo Rumblings Podcast Network, Bruce Bruce Nolan, and uh, from the Bruce Exclusive. And we use this, this analogy. And I want to know your thoughts on events while we were talking about putting, you know, brand new tires on a beater or whatever. Um, I was likening it to like, working on 
your house, right? So there's renovations that you can do that give your house more value. For example, if you work on your bathrooms or your kitchens or flooring, like automatically raises the the value of your house. So when you go to sell it, you'll get that money back. And, you know, it's a great investment. Whereas, you know, we were talking about it and his example was like a media room. Like a media room is awesome. Like big screen TV, you know, uh, whatever, nice seating, blah, blah, blah. That's nice. But it doesn't necessarily add value to your house. In fact, the next person that wants to buy your house might not want that at all. And my example to Bruce's example was an above ground pool, right? Uh, I live in upstate New York. So you get like, what, four months out of an above ground pool, maybe if you're lucky. Um, it doesn't add value. And in fact, like a lot of times people just end up taking them out for the next the next uh, owner of that of your property. So um, that's like me, like getting a running back in the first round. Like here's assets that we could have spent in something that, you know, upgraded the run game or, you know, optimized current assets that you've already used in the draft in Zach Moss and Devin Singletary, as opposed to getting this, this brand new toy or whatever. I think you're just kind of missing the forest for the trees. You're thinking, you know, there's, there's issues, you know, there's things that we can make this house look nice. I mean, you know, it's not as, it's not as fun to have like a nicer bathroom than it is like a pool or maybe a jacuzzi. Like those are awesome. Right. But when it comes down to it, they're not great investments in, in the long run. Nate from circle, the wagons making me feel smarter today. <laughs> Good. Yeah. No, that's, that's, that's one person. That's one person today. <laughs> no, I, I yeah. Uh, that's a much more articulate way to get my feelings out than I could ever do. So I, I like that analogy a lot. All right, Nate, tell us where we can find your podcast and what days it comes out. So it usually comes out late Sunday night, early Monday morning on the Buffalo Rumblings podcast network. Uh, we That's on Apple, Spotify, all those fun places. Um, and yeah, we've done, uh, you know, this, this whole off season was fun, but I'm going to take a little bit of time off up until training camp. And then we're going to hit it hard going into training camp and then doing uh, you know, our post game recaps for the Bills games, whenever they are, if they're one o'clock games or primetime games, which we're hoping we get at least, you know, two or three of those this year, especially with 17 games being played in the regular season. So, um, yeah, they can find me there. They can find us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter at CTW pod, like circling the wagons pod. And, uh, yeah, you can, you can find us there. I mean, we're part of the, the Buffalo Rumblings podcast network. So, you know, there's, there's a Bruce exclusive, there's Jay Spence, the King in the code of conduct, there's Joe Miller, there's Anthony, there's everyone. I mean, we have about like nine, I think at this point. So I'm, I'm, I'm one ninth of the, of the team and, uh, it's a fun team to be a part of. Okay. Hey, Nate, I really appreciate you taking a few minutes for me tonight. I like it. I like this format. This is kind of cool. I'm glad I got the question that I did because I actually had a lot to talk about with it. So, um, yeah, nice, man. Cool. Nate, circle in the wagons. Find him on the Buffalo Rumblings Podcast Network. It's a great listen, I promise. Thanks so much, Nate. Yeah, thanks. I'm glad we could collaborate and do this. I, I mean, I've been following you on, you know, Twitter for a while, and and you know, I've heard good things about about you know your podcast and and the guys you've had on and the people you've talked to. So I'm glad I could be a part of it, man. Appreciate that. Have a good night, Nate. Thanks, you too. Have a good one, bud.
Bills Mafia, that is all I have for you this week. I hope you enjoyed it. Please hit me up at at podcast Vince. I enjoy your feedback. Let me know what you think I could do better. Um, but until then, please, please, please wear a mask, squeeze somebody close to you, and go Bills. Wow! That's superhuman strength. That's the X-12. Anything I hit will destroy. Woo! If you were not absolutely satisfied with this podcast episode, please contact your state senator or the postmaster general. Please be sure to mention, Vince Taylor said that you are a big fucking cryass. Boy, I'm sure glad that's over with. Me too! Yeah, but you know, I learned something today. Just when you think this show is terrible, something wonderful happens. What? It ends. It's over. Go home. Go.